When we look at these younger generations, they've been shaped where they've had a voice from a very young age. Their idea of an encyclopedia is one they themselves change and contribute to. So it's something that is, they've had a voice. It's not just something that's written by the experts and they just consume. A wise man once said, A wise man once said, The best way to predict the future is to create it. About to experience a next level show. Scientists, entrepreneurs, thought leaders. You're listening to the Future of Humanity podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I am your host, Carl Taylor, and you are listening to, in my opinion, the best show around, but maybe I am biased. Uh, This is a show where you get to listen in as I interview scientists, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders all about what we are facing as we continue our march towards the future of humanity. In today's episode, we are talking all about generations. So I am a generation Y, you may be a generation X, or maybe a baby boomer, or even better, you yourself may be a Generation Z or Z, however you like to say it. And that is exactly who this episode is all about. We are joined by Claire Madden, who is a leading voice internationally on Generation Z. She is an author, social researcher, keynote speaker, and media commentator. She generously took some time out of her very busy schedule to join us on this episode to talk all about Generation Z and her new book, Hello Gen Z, Engaging the Generation of Post-Millennials. In this episode, we discuss some of the language that Gen Z are using. We talk about social media and its impact on this new generation. We talk about what Gen Z is looking for from employers, what type of leaders that they're likely to become, and much, much more. If you're a parent of a Gen Z, you'll definitely want to stay listening If you're an employer or manager trying to understand this new generation of workers, or you're an entrepreneur and marketer needing to better understand who you're marketing to, this is an episode you will not want to miss. And of course, if you yourself are a Generation Z, please stay tuned. I'd love to get your feedback after this episode. So please welcome Claire Madden. So welcome, Claire. I'm so excited to have you. Your book is absolutely fascinating. It's Hello Gen Z, Engaging the Generation of Post-Millennials. The biggest question that I have on my mind is, I believe I'm a Gen Y, but then I feel like sometimes I'm referred to as millennials. Can you clarify for me the difference between a Gen Y and a millennial? Is there a difference? Are we the same? What's the go there? Yeah, they're just two different names for the same generation, actually. So born from about 1980s, generally regarded as our Gen Ys. In Australia, we talked Gen Y a lot, but in America, they were talking millennials. Of of late, the term millennial has become really popularized. But yeah, it is that generation born about 1980 to 1994 or so. Again, sociologists never really agree on the years of each generation because there's no clear demarcation of what defines, you know, the exact parameters of a generation. But really the point is is trying to understand what were the uh, social influences, what were the uh, technologies, the world events, the demographics, things that would have shaped the way that that cohort of people who grew up at about the same time then see the world or, or interact. So 
Wow. Okay. So that's interesting. So there's there's actually not agreement on the exact years that or bracket of a generation. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. So there's a lot of different researchers and theorists, and and there's you know general sort of years, but it's everyone's out by a few years. So it's it's one of those funny things, and and then it just adds even more confusion when we start giving them different names like yes. Gen Y and millennials and everything. So I don't think you're the first person to wonder where you fit, Carl. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, when I think about the the years you just mentioned, like 1980 to like 1994, that to me, like when I think of millennial, I think year 2000. So where did the word millennial come from? Yeah, that's because the millennials had the turn of the millennium in their formative years. So Y2K and everything that went with that, uh, that generation grew up with that being quite a significant moment. Other people do say it's up to the year 2000, but there's an argument for the fact that so much is changing so quickly now that if we you know, spread a generation over 20 years, that is quite an extraordinary amount of time and change when we're trying to look at distinctives of a particular cohort or group. So going with a sort of 15-year um, age group gives perhaps a, a more measurable, containable sort of age group. Yeah, that's interesting that it's now more looking at 15 years. And as you say, like technology is rapidly changing so fast that it's got to be having an impact on the generation. So we're not here to talk about Gen Y though, although that definitely comes into it. Your whole book is all about Gen Z or really it's about intergenerational change. It's not just Gen Mm. Z, but it's very focused on that. So I'm fascinated to know how do you define Gen Z? Talk about Gen Zs as those born between 1995 and 2009. So they're our school kids, they're entering tertiary education, they're also entering the workforce at the moment. Um, And they have had their formative years influenced by such extraordinary exposure to technology at such a young age. And that's been a, a marker of them. When I asked them to define what shaped their generation, the two responses I heard time and time again were, technology and social media. And the extent to which social media is a part of the way that they live is really quite extraordinary. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one of the things you mentioned in the book is that they grew up with Wi-Fi. Like they're just being always connected. They really haven't known anything but connection and they didn't have dial-up. They kind of just always had fast loading. I think one of the things you said is like the oldest Gen Z was born when eBay was launched or something like that. Yeah. And that's, you know, that just seems crazy to me, but to put it in context. Absolutely. So the fact that they've always been so connected, what has that done or shaped? I mean, in the book, you you interviewed over a hundred different people to get their insights. What did you find was the biggest thing that is is shifting in the Gen Zs because of this hyper-connectivity? There's a number of factors. One is that they are a deeply social generation and they feel the need to be constantly connected to their networks and to be able to update their friends and networks instantaneously as something unfolds. None of this wait till the next morning, go to school, then tell your friends what happened last night. It's as it's unfolding, you instantly, your reaction is to inform the people in your world. There's a number of, of implications and impacts of this. I mean, one of the things they talked to me about was how they've got a really short attention span. They find it hard to focus on one thing and everything kind of catches their attention and distracts them. Another interesting thing is whilst they're spending an average of 2.7 hours a day connected to social media, some of them talk to me about the concern they have for their generation, that they're losing the ability to 
interact socially in terms of a guy, Matt, born in 2000, said we're losing the ability to have a conversation face-to-face. And so, Mm. so much of their world operates mediated through a screen and it's created incredible efficiencies and life is so convenient now with so many um, functions and apps from, you know, a smart device that we carry with us everywhere we go. But it's also um, yeah, got the flip side of, of some of the other impacts it's been having. The impact of not have a conversation. One of the things that I learned reading your book, which absolutely fascinated me, and I've been telling everyone about it, who <laughs> Gen Y, is this idea of well, what we can do in a in a face to face conversation because that's how we grew up communicating. We knew about the different nuances that in a text or email you couldn't really get across your emotion; it was emotionless. Yet they have created text speak, SMS speak, to be able to send that emotion. Like I think one of the things you mentioned in the book is that a a full stop or period for our American listeners, that on the end of an SMS is I'm angry. That's exactly right. That blew my mind. I'm like, wow, like how many Gen Zens am I speaking to who think I'm angry at them? (laughs) I know. This is what Brooke said, born in the year 2000. She said, if you're mad, you finish your sentences off with a dot. People will say, why are you mad? You normally don't use full stops to end your text. You use extra letters on the end of a word or use an emoji. I taught mum because every time she did a dot at the end, I thought she was mad. It's blunt. It cuts off. And so a number of kids talk to me about this, about how, you know, full stops or periods are about, you know, it's rude, it's blunt, it cuts off. It's saying, I don't want to reply because I dotted you. It is amazing the number of things they've come up with, though, to make up for the What's lost by not having face-to-face where you've got all the nonverbal cues, they are making up for it with a lot of effort in how they write, what emojis they use. Um, They talk to me about we've got fast thumbs now and so surely we can go to the extra effort of adding a few extra letters to the end of the word or adding an emoji. And so that, that all expresses their mood and their attitude, not just the actual words used. It's fascinating. Yeah, like even the other one, listeners, you'll find this fascinating, is that OK, just O and K is also, you know, kind of short and mad and or just a K is short and mad. Whereas my generation, that was kind of just smart to just type K. That's it. OK, just the O and K is not the same as OKAY and then a smiley face. You know, one is short and blunt and rude and then the other one is is more open and friendly. So they are reading. There's a lot of subtleties. There's a lot of layers to that, how they communicate. And they've also made up a, a whole language of words they use to go with it. It's pretty amazing. I mean, we think about this shift even just in the way they're communicating. As an entrepreneur myself and running a business, and many listeners also are entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs, how is it different for us marketing and selling to, we'll talk about workforce and employing them in a minute, but more importantly, if, if they're our market and they're our buyers, how is it different in how we need to be communicating to them? Yeah, well, they have been exposed to a lot of advertising and marketing and they're quite savvy consumers. So they don't like just being things being pushed on them, like when organisations are trying to be cool but and using Instagram or something, but actually just blatantly trying to push or sell. They, they recognise that. They much prefer it when you engage them as a human, as a person, get their subcultures and get their kind of language and be authentic as well. So don't just don't just try and um, be what you're not. Be authentic, know who you are, but include them in the conversation. And what you find then is you get Gen Zs who 
genuinely promote your brand, genuinely like your brand, they're part of it, they engage with you. Um, so I think they're looking for more than just um, being sold to. Yeah, wow. Well, you say that as a Gen Z thing, but I feel like that's just a human thing in general. Surely <laughs> surely everyone doesn't really want to be sold to and they, they want to be connected to. And maybe it's just the Gen Zs are smart enough to have figured out that they can demand it. <laughs> maybe. Let's talk about employment then. I mean, what are these guys like in the workforce? They're starting the oldest Gen Zs would be in the workforce or potentially entering it. What are they like in terms of if I was to want to employ them or I have them in my organization, what are What's the differences we're seeing in this generation? Yeah, well, when I asked them, I said, what, what do you think work will be like and what will matter to you in your career? And a response I heard time and time again was, Claire, I don't know what I'm going to do or I don't mind what I do as long as it's something I enjoy. And enjoyment was such a high priority and motivator for our Gen Zs when it came to thinking about their careers. Uh, and that's by no means a bad aspiration. It's probably just a different starting point from where older generations uh, were starting their careers. They were probably looking for, for things like survival and security needs. If we think about Maslow's hierarchy, thinking about will this be a secure job? Will I have it, be able to provide for my family here? Those sorts of, sort of things, whereas for, for Gen Zs, their starting point I'm finding is is a different one. And they also talk to me about I want to make a difference in the world. and. Many expressed, you know, we've been given a lot, been handed a lot on a silver platter, yet they're also so globally connected and globally aware that what do we do about all this? How do we actually change this world that we know needs changing? And they see their careers as a significant way to make a difference in the world. And so different motivators, um, they're not bad motivators, but they certainly um, different starting point. And you also see that they, they care about the culture of the workplace. They care about belonging and the social side of it and feeling like they're known and their leaders are relatable, their bosses are relatable, co-workers and, and things like that, not just sort of distant, lonely workplaces. Mm. We actually talked about this recently. We had uh, Fiona Anson come on and talking a bit about the future of, of the workplace and, and how work is nature of work is changing. And we talked a lot about how the kind of the, the culture of what employees are looking for is a more collaborative leader, someone who uh, I, I mentioned that in my own business, I, I never tell my team members that I have all the answers. I encourage them to debate with me and challenge me on my ideas. And apparently that's the, that's the big trend. And so would you say that Gen Z is the same? That's what they're looking for from their, their leaders? Yeah, absolutely. When you think about traditional leadership styles, they were more hierarchical, positional, authoritarian, sort of top-down approach. And that worked in a lot of contexts and was what you know context or time required. But when we look at these younger generations, they've been shaped where they've had a voice from a very young age. Their idea of an encyclopedia is one they themselves change and contribute to. So it's something that is, um, they've had a voice. It's not just something that's written by the experts and they just consume. They are content creators and collaborators from a very young age. Um, furthermore, when it comes to social media, they have a voice. They have, uh, they're on sites where, like YouTube, where they create the content. And so when we bring them into the workplace and we say, here's your tasks, this is what needs to be done, and off you go and do it, that is a very foreign environment for them. It is quickly disengaging and mm. it is unusual for them because they're like, well, you don't want me to be part of this. You don't want me to 
create ideas or come up with things or or be, be part of this. And so collaborative mm. leadership is really powerful. It's not about, oh, my goodness, they need to be the CEO by tomorrow, but it is about placing value on every person in the team, whether they've been there for one day or 10 years, whether they've, they're younger or older, and saying, hey, let's get you engaged here, not just in the hours that you turn up, but let's get your heart engaged. Let's get your passion engaged. Let's get your mind, your ideas, and you 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 get so much more out of the team when when you move to a model like that. One of the things that that came to mind before when you were talking about how they they've been creators and so socially connected, and one of the things I wonder about is often it's referred to that the younger generation is becoming so narcissistic, you know. And and you mentioned also mm-hmm. they want to change the world. And one of my thoughts on that was. What's their motivation to change the world? Is it is it because they're looking for personal significance, or is there a deeper, greater sense of changing the world? What are we seeing when when someone goes as an older generation? We look at it and go, "Oh, they're being narcissistic." They wouldn't say that. As, as a you know social researcher, what what's your perspectives on that? I think it's uh, probably a, a bit of both. I, I think every human wants to feel like they can contribute and that their life can have an impact and they can leave a legacy. I think it's deep within the human heart to want to do that. But I don't believe that we have a motivation or that these Gen Zs have a motivation just for self-fulfillment. I really hear in them that they do have a care for this world and for people and for being able to see things improve. And they often just need the context a way to be able to do that. So because partly of their life stage now and I was interviewing them, you know, that a lot of them are teenagers, they're saying, you know, when all these people ask us to help or charities or there's world crises that we watch unfold minute by minute on our phones, we don't really know what to do because we don't necessarily have cash we can just throw at it. And one girl said to me, as a world crisis was unfolding, it was so sad, um, but she didn't know what to do. So she just sat there pressing the crying emoji on Facebook as a way of saying, this is really sad Mm. and I want this to be better. But sometimes they need an avenue or a context to be able to to do something and 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 that comes comes with time and it comes with you know hopefully a workplace can can give them that yeah absolutely okay yeah i mean that's good to know i think i think it's very easy every generation i'm sure we all suffered i know gen y we definitely did you know we were classified as lazy and entitled yeah. gen x's and baby boomers uh, every generation before it cuz we're different every generation is different and so it's easy to look at them and go oh well that's that's so bad. They're so connected. They're so narcissistic. They're so whatever with social media. But the reality is it's their world. That's what's true for them. One of the things that I did wonder about is because they are so connected, how are they, you mentioned they're not great at having a real world conversation. How else are they engaging in the offline world outside of conversations? Or is a lot of their world now just so digital? Everything's really digital. They are engaging the offline world as well. I think what we're finding is that it's a seamless integration between online and offline. A little bit like how we don't probably think about when we're using electricity or when we're not. We just use it. Mm. It's the same for this generation, Gen Zs, with technology. It's not really, oh, remember the days as a Gen Y, I too am a Gen Y. Remember when we used to surf the web as like a hobby? you know, or something you'd do that night. What did you do? I surfed the web as though it was, you know, going on the internet and using the internet. They don't 
see it like that. It's just part of life, like breathing oxygen and, and you know, just going about your every day. So I think there's far less of a, a distinction for them between when they're on and when they're off and, and there's this flow on. So even conversations that might be happening in face-to-face are going to be inspired by what's being shared online or the conversations that were happening online. or and, and some of them said to me, oh, if we're at a cafe and we run out of things to say, we just get our phone and start scrolling social media, find some new things to talk about and then get going again. So it's sort of so integrated it's hard to separate. I think that's an interesting point. You know, it's very quick and easy for older generations for us to go, oh, look at these kids. They're just, they're there in the cafe. They're not talking to each other. They're there on their phone. And then you've just mentioned that, well, they might be there looking for something to then talk about offline and connect in an offline way once they've found something. Yeah, that's right. They still want to turn up to places and collaborate and be be there in person with one another. So they know that online has a role and a function, but they also know it's not fulfilling the, you know, everything. It certainly doesn't replace human relationships. And what I found really interesting in the research was how a lot of young people mentioned to me that life was better before social media. It was better when we got to ride our bikes outside. So they're conscious of that. They're actually they're aware of it. Do do they have a desire to change it or is it just a consciousness of awareness, but not necessarily enough to drive them to change their behavior? Well, for some, uh, they said, well, girl Sophie talked about how older generations, wishes she was in an older generation because they get to experience the world. They know how, when to switch off and, and actually, you know, be, be present and and I said well why don't you do that why don't you leave your phone and go and have these conversations and be present and they said oh well we can't because then we'd be excluded so what they find is so much social validation and acceptance comes they feel from being in the loop and knowing what's happening in the online space um and that's got to surely that's got to be affecting mental health then yeah they they were quick to draw line let's draw the the connections there about how wired they feel and how stressed they feel and the need to constantly be across things does create a really wired feeling. For many, they're just constantly connected. About a quarter of young Australian teens are constantly connected to social media. Yeah, their, their well-being is, is taking a bit of a, a, a hit as a result of, of not having and time for reflection, process emotions, to just disconnect. And and, and I think the other big thing that's feeding into that is that where is their sense of self? So if their locus of identity is in their online profile, and for many it is kind of caught up in that, then how they feel about themselves is directly affected by how many likes they've got that day on their Instagram post or what's going on in the online space. So, so this challenging and complex era that they've grown up in, in terms of developing a sense of self and identity is core to then how, what we live out of. So, I mean, if we project forward and we, we think about with the Gen Zs and then uh, Generation Alpha, I believe it was called, is the generation yeah. after them. If we project forward and think, well, they're, you know, they're the leaders of tomorrow, 10, 20, 30 years from now, like what do you think the world is going to look like with the Gen Zs and the Gen Alphas far more integrated into our, our world and workforce and just uh, starting to be in leadership roles? 
The world is constantly changing and if we even look from your builders' generation or otherwise known as traditionalists, the ones born before 1945, I mean, what they've seen, the technology and the change in, in work and everything in their lifetime has been, it's hard to comprehend. It's been extraordinary. So similarly, we'll continue to see significant change. Um, but as, as we're looking at, you know, people projecting in, in what's going to happen in, with robots and artificial intelligence and machines getting smarter and all of that in the industrial revolution 4.0 like what we're seeing is well there's still going to be the human factor in fact perhaps more important than ever is interpersonal skills the connections the relationships that that human side as perhaps more can be um, done with machines in in some respects do you think that the gen z's want that? Do you think that they're, when they think about the future, they want to see a world of mostly robotics or do they, do you think they're going to reject the idea? Because I think, I think a lot of these things with the technology is capable. I mean, we're mm. capable, to be honest, we could have driverless cars on the road pretty well mm. today if we just took all the human drivers off the road. Mm. But, so the technology to do a lot of things is there. Mm. It's whether the market will accept it. And one of the things I wonder about is, well, yes, at some point, maybe we won't accept accept it because of our generation and our values. But over time, the generations change and values change. Are they someone who, because they're so embracing of technology, even more so than our generation, they're welcoming of this robot future or are they a bit hesitant of it? Uh, I think that see machines and robots and all that for, for the efficiencies that they can enable and the you know new areas of work that they'll open up. I'd say the human factor will continue to, like you say, limit what we want robots to actually do in our lives because, I mean, I, I spend my life travelling and, and going to speak at conferences and what amazes me is, well, why did, why did everyone turn up to this conference? Why didn't we just Skype in? Why didn't we just watch this on YouTube? It's because of the human fact, because as, as deep needs as, as humans is to, to connect person to person. It's to come together. Learning happens differently when we rub ideas off from one another and bounce things off and, and actually... Um, relate it's it's that person to person level not mediated by a machine or, or a screen and and the gen z's were expressing this this desire to me in the in the research i did they were saying oh it's not actually fulfilling that even though they're spending hours on social media they one guy chris born in 1998 said to me we're connected but we're lonely i mean and they're the first ones to grow up with all such bombardment of all, all this um, social media and so forth in their formative years and, and they're coming at, through it saying, uh, some of it's good, but actually we're missing something here. And, and so I think that they will continue as people, we will continue to say machines can achieve certain functions, but they will, I don't think we will see them take over what humans have. They're still going to look for that, that human side. They're not going to completely embrace the, the robot overlords and a completely virtual VR world where we never talk to a human in real life. That's right, because that doesn't satisfy the deep longings of the, of the human soul and, and how we're made. So, I, you know, the, and there's companion ro robots that have been developed, I've heard of, in, in Japan and things. Yep. But honestly, when we've got loneliness epidemic, that, you know, or loneliness increasing and all sorts of things, I mean, I think what we might see is actually a bit of a return to or ha to community and people and and a real focus on that in, in the future because I think it's actually what we're starting to realise we, we, we deeply need. To me, that's a positive. I love tech. I'm, I'm very much a tech geek and I embrace the robotics, but at the same time, I do worry about that impact. And so the, to know that the Gen Zs are 
looking at that, that they are conscious and aware of because they're the next Zuckerbergs, the next Elon Musks, the next people who are going to make massive disruption to their world. And um, it's nice to know that, that they're going to be considering the community side of things. Yeah. One of the things that was really interesting actually in your book, uh, I, I highlighted it, was something that I've definitely I've definitely noticed that seems to be a, a trend in today's society. And, and Neil deGrasse Tyson actually talks about it too. And the quote was, uh, Gen Zs have been shaped by a worldview that pro- um, promotes that there is no absolute truth and that every opinion and preference is as valid as the next. And I thought that's really interesting because there is, in science at least, there is a lot of um, sometimes denials of basic facts. Um, and so this is an interesting trend. What what do you see or how do you see this showing up in kind of the Gen Z's lives? Well, some of them talk to me about um, oh, tolerance, um, everything's, you know, tolerance is su- such a big thing and such a big value, but some of them were a bit confused by, well, what's that actually even even mean? Can we stand for anything if that's then going it to a, our view isn't then go, is potentially going to offend someone else and all of that? And so in some ways it's like tolerance has almost been misunderstood or, or redefined for um, today's culture where tolerance really is about you and I can have different views and they can be quite opposing but we can still live harmoniously together and respect one another and that's that's really important of course um that that and sometimes uh, I, I think that I guess the the idea of postmodernism where there's no absolute truth and there's uh every opinion seem to be as val- valued as the next it, it can actually create a fair bit of confusion for young people um because they're you know, if we look through, you know, history and, and life, there are certain things that are actually fundamental to, to how people and society live and operate. And Absolutely. I mean, I, one example, just to kind of give an example of this, is, is like the flat earthers versus the, the globe, right? You know, yes, you can respect that someone chooses to believe that. There is an element of that and I, I can appreciate that. But at the same time, is that helping society to encourage and allow someone to believe something that we have proof, data, backed up, photographs, GPS systems, so much about the world that would not work if we weren't a globe. We didn't stand up to challenge that. And and I think that's the challenge of, I'm very much a believer of, well, I can respect someone because if I was in their shoes and if I'd lived the life they've lived and read the books they've read and had the conversations they'd had, I would think exactly the same as them. I can respect that. But I feel like it would be my responsibility to not let them just sit there believing something that is not a matter of opinion there is a fact and i don't know i just wonder if that with that when i saw that comment i thought how is that going to affect fake news and what's happening like if everyone just chooses to believe what they want to believe and be like you as you mentioned about the offense you know people can be offended that you're offended yeah that's right it doesn't there's no end to it i mean i think it would be fantastic to bring back into our society rigorous debate in terms of real, like, let's actually deal with this issue, all the levels of it, and not get personally offended and, and all of that. But actually, what we're here to do is understand where truth might lie in this or where there might be a deeper, big, deeper reasoning. But like you say, it's so much about clickbait media now or, you know, that, that tweet or, or whatever it is. And it's like, uh, what have we done to our thinking? And, 
when I look at Gen Zs, but I look at society as a whole, we're placing a real value on speed and we're placing um, a value on popularity, but we're not placing a value on deeper thought or robust kind of um, debate or conversation. It's all very popular driven. Yeah, people get it in surface level. Yeah, surface level. Exactly. It's the depth versus breadth thing. And I, I do talk about that in the book a bit. Even when it comes to relationships, they've got so many friends on social media, but they're saying, some of them are saying we're lonely. And, and I thought we've substituted a depth of relationship for a breadth of connection. And similarly, when we come to dealing with information and content, I asked them, how do you go about learning things? And they said, oh, you just Google it. And that's great. Google is incredibly helpful. Uh, but, but where's the rigorous? How do you know what's true? Yeah, where, where do you take that piece of information and test it and go deeper and ask why and do that again? And, and so it's the depth, breadth thing, the surface thing. And I think that we're, we're just so, we're filling our lives just consuming so much surface stuff for example the 2.7 hours a day of social media or the seven hours and 40 minutes we spend consuming media content every day and yet where is the space for like obviously people can express their opinions and ideas like never before but where is the the rigorous discourse or the deeper thinking or where there's respectful debate in terms of okay I really do want to understand what you mean by that and not just reactions Mm. and and all of that, yeah, I, I think we'd be in a better place as society to, to draw on some of that. Yeah, interesting. What came to mind there is like maybe the next social media needs to be a, a debate medium, but then I can just imagine trolls will just come in and ruin it for everyone. Yeah, and that's, that is a, a challenge with social media is the anonymity of it where you can, you know, just, and, and people, keyboard warriors who can just, you know, get on there and have a rant. But, yeah, if we could create a listening culture somehow, um, and perhaps we we can try this in you know through podcasts and mainstream media, good journalism that can you know ask those deeper questions. But but so much is is driven by well, what will get the the popular you know vote now or or, or or whatever, rather than deeper thinking. Yeah, well, if you're a Gen Z and you're listening to this, I'm so glad you're here. And please make sure if you haven't subscribed and continue to follow along with these conversations, because this could be ideas of what you could talk about with your fellow uh, students and friends. Let's bring it back more to today. Uh, One of the things I loved in your book was the glossary of how to speak Gen Z. I think you probably had a lot of popularity from that, uh, from from the media as well, but it it was fantastic. So I think if, if you're a parent and you have Gen Z children, or even if you just have them in your family and they maybe they're not your child, I think there's a lot of value getting your book just just for this glossary, so you can know what exactly they mean when they say lit or when they say uh, YOLO, which you may may already know that one, but like yeah, or if they're feeling salty, Carl, yeah, or salty, salty, yes, yeah, yes. or people have been throwing shade. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I saw that one. What's yeah, throwing shade? If you're throwing shade, you're sort of bagging someone out, you're being slack. And then, oh. um, and, and if you're being a bit harsh, then that's called savage. So someone, oh, savage. And then if people have been throwing shade, maybe you'll feel salty, which is you're <laughs> upset or you're moody or you're, or you're a bit mad. So uh, absolutely entertaining. What a classic generation they are. I tell you, they are very funny very creative well it's fantastic to have you join us i one of the questions i have and i like to ask everyone this is when you think about the future of humanity and the path that we're headed on based on your knowledge of what what's going on in your field but just in general as well do you think that we're headed in a constructive direction or a destructive 
or destructive connection uh, direction. Oh, well, I'm optimistic about humanity and about the future. I'm optimistic about this generation that we ha- see emerging here. I think that each era has its constructive elements and there are many great constructive parts in our culture. And similarly, there are uh, unhelpful or deconstructive parts that it would be better to to reflect on and, and change. So I think that the opportunities that we have in this generation and in this era are unmatched and they're extraordinary. And the way that the globe has become so connected has just opened up so much for for our futures. But like we were just talking about, I think if we um, also don't just always go with the flow but stop and think and reflect and say, well, what is it that would really help humanity here? Is it just more consumption of more hours of social media feed or is there actually something that we could bring into the conversation or get people thinking or, or shape in whatever field we're in, whether we be teachers or we're um, nurses or we're, um, you know, business people, what is it that can actually make a positive impact? And if we all do that, then, then we'll continue to see improvement in people's lives. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much, Claire Madden. Where can people, obviously you, you do a lot of speaking, so you're available for, for speaking. You've got an amazing book out. Where can they find more details about you? We'll make sure there's links in the show notes, but where's yeah. the best way for them to connect with you to find out more about either your speaking or your book or, or whatever? Easiest place to get in touch is clairemadden.com. So you can buy my book there. You can get in touch. You can see some other resources just at clairemadden.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening to the Future of Humanity podcast. To download the latest episode and find the transcript and various resources mentioned in today's episode, visit our website at foh.show. That's F-O-H as in Future of Humanity and show as in S-H-O-W. You can also, via our website, contact me with any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. So please do reach out. Now, if you haven't already subscribed, you can find the links to subscribe on all your favorite platforms at foh.show slash subscribe. That's foh.show slash subscribe. And more importantly, if you'd like to continue the conversation from today's episode and connect with other listeners, then you can join our free community at foh.show slash community, foh.show slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.